Welcome to a new episode of the Open Source System Podcast. Every two weeks, we gather to talk about open source news and open source projects. You can find us on iTunes, Player FM, Pocket Cast, Stitcher, and soon on Google Play Podcasts. You can also find us on GitHub. Just go to github.com slash open source system podcast, and you, you will see the projects we talk about in the issue tracker. Uh, today, for this episode, we have uh, Kyle coming back from several episodes in the past. Hello again. And also Mike. Hello. And finally, Rich, who is in the rotating chair for this podcast. Hi, everybody. Welcome. And uh, let's dive in to the projects. Let's see. The first thing on the list is a hardcore C++ project called Steel. Um, for it's a command line password manager. Um, I guess think uh, One Password if you're familiar with that application. But uh, you know, free and open source, written under the the GPL uh, license. Um, so I believe it's it's targeted for Linux. Um, but I, I did see something about uh, adding support for OSX as well. So if you need to manage your passwords, um, and you're a hardcore C++ programmer, then you're going to love this project. So it sort of takes away the GUI from Password Manager. I'm not sure how I feel about that. Yeah, that's true. I mean, do you, what do you use right now for your password management? Oh, I don't know if I should share that information, but... Uh. <laughs> just, just tell me your password, and I'll let you know. I'll let you know if it's secure or not. Oh, yeah. one password, yep. I, I use LastPass. Just in the browser, I use one password as well, and uh, that's one of the things that I've actually noticed about this is that uh, um, with one password you can just kind of enter your uh, your login information directly into the browser via a browser extension or something like that. Uh, whereas with this, you'd probably want to pipe it to something that copies to your clipboard, which means you're going to have your password in your clipboard. Yeah. So I don't know if that's really something that you want to do, but. Yeah, maybe this can be used in the background, and like a Chrome extension or a Firefox extension can use it. Shell out to your password manager. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. a cool idea. I'd like to see you know kind of more of this stuff uh, move into the open source world, um, just so it's a bit more transparent. I know, like there's there's this one issue that I had with one password, and um, I mean. I won't go into details of the issue, but I reported it. I even know how to fix it, and if it was open source, it would be fixed right now. They're doing a great job trying to fix it, but the, the issue I have is still isn't fixed, and I just wish I can go into their source and fix it for them. Also, um, probably the coolest thing about Steel is if you look at the, the options, they have a dash dash shred DB option, so that's pretty heavy metal. I think that <laughs> that's, that's in line with the with the project <laughs> theme. Is ShredDB is that is that a database also written in C plus uh, plus? Well, I, I don't I don't I assume it it just nukes your uh, your database. It shreds it. I don't know. Let's find out. <laughs> <laughs> like oh, it it just wiped my home drive. That's cool. <laughs> home directory. <clears throat> yeah, what's interesting about this project is uh, it's also hosted on GitLab, and uh, it's got sort of it's different from Git. Uh, it's staying away from GitHub, 
Uh, and yeah, of course, that super that super confused me at first. I'm like, where is this? I thought, you know, I honestly I thought it was like another wrapper for GitHub, until I realized that it's like a completely different other um, repo hosting. I know yeah. I'm like super ignorant and only I only know GitHub, but um, I guess that's cool. Yeah, um, I I was just looking at the change log, and it just three days ago. OSX support landed, so um, that's cool. You can you can try that on Unix, Linux, or OSX. Yep, excellent. And we'll have a link to it in our show notes. And so far, it's got 100 commits, and it's only two megabytes in size for the repo, and 16 stars on GitLab. And that's uh, that's a lot of stars for a sort of secondary GitHub Git hosting. I like GitHub. <laughs> So the next project we have is called Piston. Um, it's it's a game engine written in Rust, and um, I think Kyle, you did you say you had some experience with this, or you were checking this out? Yeah, I, I just got. I, I mean, I'm really just getting started with Rust, mm -hmm. and um, I mean, Rust is is pretty cool so far. Um, what what I've gotten into, you know, if you're really into like low level system stuff. Um, but it's also I, I've been finding out like a really great uh, way to develop games. It's it's pretty easy to to interface with OpenGL um, directly from Rust. Um, there's some really great libraries out there, but this library Piston just makes it super easy. I mean, you can with it's like you know 20 lines of code or something like that. You can get um, a window open with um, a shader system drawing to canvas and um, and you know you can start doing some graphics programming pretty quickly um, with Rust. Uh, I was uh, super impressed on how easy it was. Um, and so I mean it's all pretty new. Um, and so like they have a lot of the low level stuff done. Like they have um, different kinds of uh, 3D cameras um, available, font rendering images, um, you know Quaternion math and mouse and keyboard inputs and all the basic stuff you would need for a game engine. But uh, I know they have like a lot of pieces planned. Um, but the cool thing too is that they're, they're building them all off in like little separate libraries uh, and little separate pieces that you can kind of piece together. Um, but so far I've had a lot of, uh, I've had a really great experience um, using Piston to, uh, to draw some cool things to the screen. So, so Rich, you, you took a glance at this project. Uh, what were your sort of early thoughts on this? Would you ch choose this as your uh, next game engine? One thing that I found is kind of interesting is in the README, uh, they're talking about uh, how they intend to do research or plan in various areas aside from just what they're currently doing. One of those being idiomatic Rust game design, which huh. is kind of an interesting idea. I mean, coming up with sort of the core principles and philosophies of how you should be creating games in a new programming language. Uh, because it is kind of the, I guess, first major uh, uh, sort of framework for this in in the language. Uh, plenty of contributors already. It's got 54 contributors, uh, over a thousand commits, and uh, it seems like it's doing well. There's a Minecraft clone and uh, all sorts of things in this. Oh, is is that what um, on the README the sample drawing a red rectangle? Is that Minecraft? Uh, they have. A bunch of <laughs> they have on the on their on the website piston.rs, which is a cool. Oh, nice. Which, which country is RS? <laughs> Not Russia, but something like. Rugoslavia, I think that's what that is. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna look that up. So they already built Rust 2048, 
and uh, there's a Minecraft clone. Uh, there's uh, a lot of interesting examples. Plenty of games, uh, sort of early early stages. There's a Rust Pong, Rust Sudoku, um, Minesweeper, which is great. Awesome. So, so for the oh, record, oh. yeah, for the record, .rs is Serbia. Um, so shout out to Serbia. Yeah, actually, I remember that. Um, I think it was uh, Steve Kolabnik. I'm saying his name wrong. Yeah. Um, anyways, he was talking about um, how you know a lot of the Rust projects will use the dot .rs uh, uh, TLD, and and like they have to like pay this company in Serbia uh, their you know their credit card to to buy it. Serbia's uh, full of awesome people. Cool. So yeah, so that's. Uh, Piston, and you can find the whole organization on github.com slash piston developers, and we'll have a link to that in our show notes. Next up, we've got sort of a collection of tools for uh, photo editing, um, and all these tools are open source. Now, Mike, you've looked at this. Um, yeah, so this, I was actually really excited to see this. Um, it took me a minute to figure out what this was. It turns out it's a blog post. Um, <laughs> if you guys remember those. Um, and so this this person, I'm, I'm assuming his his or her name is Riley Brandt, um, is kind of detailing their workflow and how they uh, do what looks to be like professional photography um, on Linux. And this is cool to see because um, photo editing and other stuff like I've only had experience in Windows or Mac using like Adobe products um, and I've 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 downloaded and installed the GIMP um, <laughs> and it's it's kind of scary um, and so this is kind of neat just to see someone say like these are the tools I use um, and this is how I use it so I'm gonna bookmark this in case I ever find myself back on Linux um, when my kids grow up and stop complaining about it so I'm not a huge sort of, I'm not looking for a photo processing workflow, but it seems like it's a huge deal among the professional photographers. Uh, Rich, do you do any of uh, any of that? I can't say that I do, but <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of curious about some of these things, some of the hardware that they list on here. Uh, I've heard people mentioning this spider before. Have, have any of you ever tried using one of these to calibrate a monitor? So, oh, oh yeah. that's that little, it looks like a little... Like spider, funky thing. Yeah, it's like yeah. a it's like a mouse or something, right? Yeah, exactly. And it looks like it kind of just dangles over in front of your monitor and calibrates uh, the color settings for you. Yeah, that's neat. I've never actually needed to like read Reddit in um, <laughs> the true blue true, color. Yeah, true orange red. Uh, but I can see how, I mean, if, if, if you're a photographer, like, that's important, right? Like, that's how you make your living. So it's kind of cool. Yeah, it kind of creeps me out to attach things to my monitor like that. But um, Other than your, your, your password post-its. <laughs> <laughs> I use steel, man. <laughs> I use post-notes. Uh, uh, presumably you remove this, the, uh, the spider as well. You probably don't want to leave it there in front of your monitor. <laughs> and close the lid, yeah. <laughs> so just to go through these tools, uh, the the first thing on the, in this workflow is the image viewer. And I guess once you took a bunch of photos, you want to look at them, uh, just scan, just scan through them. Mm -hmm. And this image viewer tool called 
Jiggy? Jiggy? <laughs> or maybe it's Geeky. Could be Geeky. Uh, it's hosted on SourceForge, so be careful what you download from there. <laughs> but... True. Uh, but yeah, you can you can look at the it'll, it can display XF data and things like that. Uh, and then after I guess you viewed the photos, you would do the you would calibrate your monitor because you want to get the true colors. And uh, it lists the uh, three calibration methods, three hardware components that were tested on Linux, and uh, it seems like they work. And finally, you would use the Rapid Photo Downloader to get the I guess all your photos from the camera. Tweak the camera color profiles, and there's a Argil CMS that does that for you. And uh, yeah, Darktable, which is uh, will let you tweak the metadata once you maybe want to publish those photos somewhere. You would use Darktable for metadata management and edit the row of photos. And finally, you would touch them up and prepare them for the web in GIMP. Yeah, I thought the link um, to have the keyboard shortcuts, and it has more than that, too, to mimic um, how Photoshop feels. Because, I mean, I've always liked GIMP, um, but my, all, my, all my complaints about it are, are basically habits I have from Photoshop that I wish GIMP did, you know, the same. Um, so it's kind of cool that they, they give you a, a nice little link with information on how to make it behave uh, more similar to each other. This dark table app looks uh, pretty pro. Yeah, it looks screenshots here. Looks nice. Yeah, not something I would have expected to find in the Linux environment. Yeah, so yeah, Darktable it could be something that uh, not a lot of people know about, but uh, yeah, it's on, at darktable.org, and it's GPL v3 license, and uh, there's plenty of things about it here. So we'll have a link to this blog post. So if you're looking for an open source. Uh, photography workflow, this is, could be for you. Next up, we have MDAST. Um, and what it is, it's a markdown processor uh, that's uh, written in Node.js or you can use it on the browser uh, using JavaScript. Um, <clears throat> and what it's, it's, it's different than like typical markdown compilers that just take markdown and compile it into HTML. But rather, it generates an abstract syntax tree, so you can like inspect it or manipulate it, um, and then either write the file back it down, you know, back as Markdown, or write it to HTML. So it's like great for things like if you need to, um, if you know, maybe you're maintaining a whole bunch of projects and you have a whole bunch of um, you know badges along the top, or you have like a specific format you want to make sure there's a, a copyright at the bottom or whatever you have, a change log um, in your, in your uh, Markdown readme file, you can write a script uh, using this um, that will go through and, and check to make sure, uh, although, you know, it'll inspect uh, the, the syntax of your Markdown to make sure all those things are there and, and normalize it for you. So it's pretty cool. Um, I came across this project, actually, because I was searching NPM, and as you know, NPM is really easy to find uh, projects that you're looking for. <laughs> um, and so I was writing... Just so you guys get the joke. <laughs> yeah, sarcasm. <laughs> uh, you, you'll enter in some, your, some laugh track, right? That signals everybody to no laugh. No laugh track, it's not allowed. Copyright. Dang, what is this, episode like four and still no laugh track? <laughs> Come on. The, the sad oh. trombone is, is open source. Though, so. <laughs> um... So, so anyways, I was looking around for um, a thing to do this. Like, there's so many down, you know, Markdown um, compilers, but there was none that would just let me, you know, parse to an abstract, abstract syntax tree. 
And so, um, anyways, I was looking around, and I couldn't find anything. Um, I found some some sort of okay ones, um, but nothing like what I was looking for. And so I just ended up writing one my on my own. Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah, and, and, you know, it wasn't good or anything. It was it was pretty awful. And I'm like, okay, what's a good name for this? Uh, MD asked, uh, you know, Markdown Abstract Syntax Tree. That's That's a good name. So I named the package that, and then I just hit NPM Publish, and said, this package already exists. <laughs> and so I wow. looked at it, and I'm like, oh, wow, there's, this already exists, exactly what I want, and way better. So I just deleted mine, and I've been using this one ever since. This one's great. Is that yeah. a true story? That's a very true story, absolutely true story. I can <laughs> even go back to the tweets in which I tweet about this, too. So, you know, tweets are, you know, legal evidence, so... <laughs> Yeah, this I'm I'm actually excited to to see this when I was going through the list of projects we're going to talk about tonight because I'm uh, a project I work on we're we're dealing with we use this other JavaScript based Markdown to HTML editor or sorry processor whatever you want to call that and we've got this this silly bug where if you use if you if you do an image you're writing the Markdown for an image element. If if the source attribute isn't the first attribute, it freaks out and doesn't know what to do, right? Be because it's based on regular expressions, and it's just kind of like, blah. And so this is cool. You, you get an AST, and you can just rock and roll, do whatever you want. Um, so I'm, I'm excited to go check this out and see what it'll take to convert our site to using this. Yeah, Rich, how does it, this project make you feel... And marked out in general. <laughs> it, it makes me feel generally quite happy. Um, it's. Uh, I'm. I was just wondering about uh, what some of the potential uses for it would be. I mean, once you've actually broken things up into a proper AST like that, uh, I'm just wondering. I mean, what would you use it for? What would you query out for? Uh, what kind of information would you want to query out of it? Well, one thing. Um, so, are you familiar with the the standard? Um, that, that code formatter um, project. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So um, there was a an a, an issue opened up on that repo, um, asking to do the same kind of thing where you standardize, um, you know, all the the header stuff of your your README, all the the copyright stuff and the contributors and and just like come up with a a standardized uh, README format um, for all the projects. And so that has now since then branched off into his own project. And um, Titus Warmer, he, he's the uh, the guy who created this project. He he led the way on that um, of creating a, a project. So it, it's basically you just you you know you put in the information into your your Markdown file, and then it will go through and normalize and format it um, into the standard format. Um, so you don't have to worry about you know uh, do I format the, you know the API docs. Looking this way, do I include uh, information on how to install my project from npm, or do I include information on, you know, if you if you're not using, um, say, Browserify or, or the package manager, how would you download and, and use my project? And so it kind of normalizes and handles all that stuff for you. Yeah, it's got a fancy website. If you go amdas.js.org, uh, there's plenty of things there. There are already a few plugins. Uh, you can uh, inject uh, contributors, inject uh, uh, table of contents, and all sorts of stuff. And it seems to be doing really well. 
Yeah, just, Titus Warmer, he's he's really active um, on it, and he's you know really proactive. When people are just like, you know, you just mention his projects, he'll just jump into your issue stream and just say, yeah, sure, I can help, I can I can do that, you know, and uh, and he'll just start writing code. So he's really enthusiastic. I, I I like I like him a lot. So cool. Yeah, I'm happy to see uh, the support for GitHub Flavor Markdown. I know some of the old parsers did not have that, and uh, there's plenty of options to choose from. So. Uh, it's got it's probably MIT license. I'm gonna make a guess. Yep, and uh, it's got only 300, almost 400 stars. So if you are fans of Markdown and you want a good um, Markdown processor, then uh, go to the go to the GitHub page and start the project to let developers know that uh, the project is important to you. I was just looking. This is cool. This is a this is a fork of one of the very first Markdown. Libraries I I've used, and I I moved away from that because it was kind of problematic and unmaintained. So this I'm I'm happy to see that. That's cool. So they did not start from scratch, but uh, they just forked it and uh, continued working on it. Yeah. Up next we have CMuse or CMUS or something like that. I think it's uh, so. This is a a C-based music player that uh, plays audio through the command line. Uh, which is, I think there are a few examples of them, although I, none are actually coming to mind right now. But uh, there are several of them, and this one, it looks like it's basically just a wrapper around FFmpeg as the actual player. Um, so it's got Vim bindings and uh, all sorts of things like that, so you can uh, play audio from the command line to your heart's content. It uses Vim-style, pro like, Probably just JK, etc., for kind of navigating around. Um, oh, okay, so you would yeah. be coding, and then you would you can play some music uh, while like switching between files or something. Yeah, so it says vi slash less uh, style search mode. Uh, so presumably you just hit forward slash, and you can start searching for your music. And uh, vi style command mode with tab completion. I have no idea what that means. <laughs> yeah, so it's uh, it's got a thousand stars on GitHub, and uh, I wonder if uh, it'll be possible to use the Spotify API with this, and just have a you know use the Spotify C library to play music through Spotify somehow, and this C C C, uh, C music player. You know the example screenshot they have. I'm I'm really questioning um, whoever's uh, music taste this is. With uh, you know, you got Nora Jones, you got Pink Floyd, The Prodigy. It's uh, it's a quite the mix. These are all amazing '90s bands. What are you talking about? I guess <laughs> New Nouvelle Vague, or I don't speak French, Nouvelle Vague. They're a cool band. They just do covers of like new wave music, bossa no <laughs> in bossa nova style. So if you you can you can find it on GitHub, but you can also install it on Ubuntu. Uh, just do sudo apt-get install cmus, uh, and also brew install cmus, and you just uh, off you go. Yeah, uh, maybe you can listen to the next open source system podcast on cmus. Yeah, that's how we get you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, let me see. Uh, some of the features. So uh, some of the inputs, audio inputs with plugins, you can do MP3, FLAC, and all sorts of stuff, of course. Output is uh, also supports these crazy formats that a Pulse Audio, which I assume a bunch of Linux stuff uses, uh, Wave Out for Windows, and also um, 
ALSA, OSS, Jack, and all, all sorts of crazy stuff. Those aren't real things, Vlad. You're making those up. Yeah. <laughs> easy to direct, easy to use directory browser. So I'm really excited to try this out. Yeah, I just I just installed it and it's super fast. Like, it probably helped that I had FFmpeg already compiled and. and what are you uh, comparing it with? Do you compare like Windows Media Player that asks you to turn on <laughs> Windows updates? You just turn it up. Y yes. Um, <laughs> We actually All have right. that as a uh, we actually have that as a feature under here is instant startup even with thousands of tracks. So I'm oh, guessing you don't have thousands there. of tracks yet, but you're gonna have to test that out. <laughs> yeah, this is awesome. So yeah, this is the next thing, especially if somehow they'll figure out how to add uh, how to add uh, Spotify support or uh, Google Music support or audio. That would be cool. Yeah, it seems like it would be possible to to pipe in these streams. Um, I know I've I've seen projects on NPM, for example, like RDO players, or that would play RDO and then rip it down to MP3s at the same time, etc. So um, cool. you just you just got just got to learn C real quick and let's <laughs> let's add this. <laughs> All right. Next up, uh, we've got. This small project called CD Boilerplate by Mr. Zool with a double O. It's a fairly new project, but it's got it's got really pretty popular, almost 400 stars. Um, and it lets you generate a resume in LaTeX format. Uh, all you do is you give it a YAML file of your name, address, email, uh, your experience, and type in a thing, and it will generate a cool-looking resume. Yeah, this looks really nice. It's got fancy headers. It aligns all the years for you. And, uh, yeah, if you're just uh, tired of using Microsoft Word for your resume and, like, YAML files, this is pro project for you. Have, has anyone, have any of you guys ever actually messed around with LaTeX? Or... Um, I, I did a long time ago. Well, it was through the Cake PHP project. Their, do their documentation used it. Oh, wow. um, yeah, so it was some time ago. Um, I can't say I enjoyed it. So no, it's it's the learning curve is is very steep. I I tried to learn it in grad school and then I gave up and <laughs> I I wrote my master's in Microsoft Word because I was like screw <laughs> <"Rue> this. <laughs> so uh, if anything I can feed YAML to and get like beautiful typography out of is thumbs up. Yeah, I really like how they did that, and you know, you don't have to, you know, muck about latex too much, you know. So cool, yeah. So this is CB boilerplate. It's just a couple of files, but it, you know, if you're just looking up to update your CV, uh, check it out. It's going to be listed in our podcast show notes. Next up, we have View Inspector, a view inspection toolbar for Android development. So this is pretty fancy looking. Um, you can. Uh, so a lot of things in Android, and there are activity views, and uh, pretty much everything you see in the app is a view. And this is a sort of inspect view that we are sort of used to on the web, where you can just inspect any element. Here you can inspect any view. Uh, this is a project by, I'm not going to try to pronounce his name, but <laughs> it will be, if you just look for <laughs> GitHub View Inspector, you'll find it. Uh, it's got a cool GIF that, that demonstrates how it works. 
Yeah, it can show outlines, margins, paddings, uh, some of the stuff that if you did a, at least a bit of CSS um, in uh, in web development and is trying trying to get it to Android things, this will really be helpful. Yeah, I'm definitely going to tell uh, our our single Android developer at our, at our office uh, about this one. Um, I mean, I'm sure he has some uh, some cool things uh, for debugging already set up, but this looks pretty awesome. Yeah, it's got over a thousand stars and uh, only one contributor so far, just because uh, I guess it's it's I don't know maybe nobody wants to send any pull requests to this project. Yeah, it looks oh. kind of like uh, like Tilt in, uh, in Firefox actually, in the three oh, D yeah. perspective. Yeah, you're right. I didn't I didn't realize this is this does the three D layerization or whatever you call that. I, I didn't make it that far in the GIF, um, but but now I've seen it. <laughs> you missed out. Yeah. So, uh, Mike, you you seem to go. You went to the issue tracker and. <laughs> yeah, I always I always poke around in in issues. That's where I live my life is in in issues. And issue thirty seven is really good. Um, young five 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 said. I think it's just the bot actually, because uh, just the doesn't make sense. It's like it's it compiled the tab works in my F four. So I think the the moral of the story: file proper bugs uh, with uh, steps to reproduce the bug and uh, some of the things you expect from it and uh, what's the actual behavior is. Otherwise, your issue would be closed. Yeah, yeah. So it's 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 an interesting bot, right? If you look at his comments, he kind of goes between Russian and something that approximates English. Uh, going back to the view inspector, though, it's Apache license and. Uh, it is, I misclicked, and it is Java, 87% Java, 12% uh, Groovy for, I think, the Gradle build tool in, in Android development. More Groovy. And more we Groovy. We talked about yeah. Groovy before. Yeah. In episode one, we talked about Groovy, and then here we are again. Yeah. Thanks, can't, get, can't get enough. Yeah. All right. Let's see, the next project is Mattermost. So I haven't actually tried it out, but it kind of, so it's uh, basically an open source Slack alternative. Um, yet another open source which, Slack alternative. Which is a closed source alternative to IRC, right? Yes. <laughs> Just checking. <laughs> so if you're looking to self-host Slack, uh, this is probably a, an option for you. It's, it's, it's developed by some cool people. Um, it says they have some back. They're backing from GitLab, Dropbox, etc. Yeah, it's Slack compatible. What you can do is uh, uh, import Slack existing Slack rooms and migrate to this. Uh, it's also got amazing uh, documentation. It helps you set it up and uh, how you would do it in production, but also has a very detailed documentation to how you would run a dev box and develop and contribute to this project. Yeah, it even lets you uh, use uh, Slack compatible webhooks. So, like, if you have your your Slack bots uh, written, you can you can potentially connect it up to this one as well. I thought that was pretty neat. Cool. So, what's uh, this is off topic, but what's what's the appeal of Slack over IRC? I've never tried it. Is it like I hear good things that there's like persistent search, so it's you don't have to have like a bouncer or grep logs, and then bots. Is that yeah, there's yeah. sort of persistent persistent search, but uh, I think when you have to get into the organization 
level and, and actually start paying for it to get any kind of searching or something like that. I think I think you mm. throw out messages that are older than two days or something unless you're on a paying version. Mm. Yeah, it's all about the emoji uh, reactions too. So yes, that's, that's about it. Um, and then also they have an automatic uh, integration with uh, Giphy, which is an awesome tool. So like you, what you do is you put slash Giphy, and you put a search term in about you know like maybe somebody says something and you want to respond with like a funny reaction animated GIF, and you just ask Giphy and you put in this term, and um, you know and you, you expect it to be related completely to <laughs> what you've written, but what it does instead is it just like picks some random thing that it's thinking about at the time and inserts that in, and usually it's like totally work inappropriate and just completely off subject and totally embarrasses you. It's it's. It's really awesome. Sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. So you can have the same behavior in uh, Mattermost. Um, probably you can just port your Slack bot or your Jiffy bot <laughs> Mattermost and have the same uh, self-hosted behavior there. <laughs> so this project is 23% Go and 65% JavaScript. It's built. Uh, the front end is built using React. And when I tried running it, uh, it I almost... It went okay, except maybe to some of the setup steps were a bit wonky. I uh, threw a bunch of React errors at me, but I managed through them and uh, <laughs> got it running. So it's all it's got over 5,000 stars and uh, seven pull requests, which is great to see. Yeah. There's there's been like a thousand closed pull requests, so it's it's super duper active. Yeah, that's pretty amazing, and they got tagging for. A labeling for all of their issues, and uh, yeah, it seems like uh, with uh, some money backing it, it's a great open source project. It's nice to have this available. Okay, some of the features there you can attach files, you can uh, add uh, audio replies, you can do uh, search by hashtag or search the archive of your messages, and uh, it also got a nice mobile uh, mobile view when I tried it. It's still uh, still missing one feature that Slack is missing as well, which is message threading or conversation threading. I feel like that's got to be the most requested feature for Slack, but I haven't seen any progress on it whatsoever in the last little while. It'd be great to see uh, threading. So Flowdog, for instance, is uh, just another, another chat application uh, that allows you to actually have multiple conversations going within the same room at the same time. So you can just kind of pay attention to one of them without, like you can have overlapping conversations at the same time without actually confusing each other. Yeah, the that problem you're describing, I think Dropbox came up with a way to solve that is by making new channels for each sort of issue or thread you, you're talking about. Um, so you're like GitHub issue 13, and you would, everybody who wants, who wants to talk about it goes into that um, channel or that, uh, yeah, that channel and talk talks there about it, so um, that's how I would solve that problem, but yeah, you're right, maybe there should be a better way to do that. IRC <laughs> probably not, is not going to get threading anytime soon. <laughs> cool, so this ends our project section of the podcast, and we've got plenty of news this time. So the first bit of news is OSCON. It's uh, a gigantic conference that focuses on open source. And w right now there's a call for speakers open until November 24th. So if you get 
to this podcast and listen to it. You're not going to have a ton of time, but you should propose something. This year it's in Austin, Texas, which is where I live, so I'm just going to ride my bike down to Oscon um, and hopefully give a talk. Um, it should be cool. Is this, uh, have you been to Oscon before? or? I've never been, uh, but a lot of people I work with every year go, and so I think this is going to be my first year. Cool. So what kind of projects, uh, if somebody's interested in sort of proposing something, what should they talk about? So they, they, they give on the submit a proposal page, the call for speakers, they're really interested in anything, anything dealing with education, sysadmin, DevOps, testing, um, community building, which is interesting, right? Uh, just anything dealing with open source, you can give a talk on. And there, there's also, you can propose to give a workshop, either a half-day workshop or a full-day workshop. And so there's potentially going to be a lot of cool stuff. I, I looked through the uh, previous year's, um, what do you call those, schedules? Yeah, and just to kind of get a sense of like, okay, is this worth attending? And some of the workshops looked really cool. So, yeah, it's not, it's, it's not a cheap conference, right? It's an O'Reilly thing, and uh, they do a lot of cool stuff, but it's it's gonna it's it's typically like fifteen hundred to two thousand dollars. So, the reason why I'm I'm excited about a uh, a call for speakers is if you get your talk accepted, you get comped on your ticket and travel, etc. So, that's my angle. Cool. And registration opens in January two thousand sixteen. So if you want to, if you don't get your talk approved, at least you can uh, buy some tickets and go there. Uh, what's next, uh, Rich? What's our next news item? Our next news item, Vlad, is Rust 1.4. Um, so I'm not really sure what they're releasing here. It looks like, well, uh, just kind of more progress towards the language, more, more APIs, newer things, things are faster. Yeah, so they got uh, yeah, 48 new APIs and deprecate a bunch of things. So if you create a Rust module, check, uh, you know, run uh, the Travis build on it because you might get some deprecation warnings. Um, now, Mike, you've been excited. You've been waiting for this release since uh, yesterday, I think. Oh, man, since Rust 1.3, I've been, like, really looking forward to 1.4. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's here. So that's exciting. Uh, I was one thing that I think is really cool is they say like uh, there's been 127 contributors who've worked on just the 1.4 release, and I think that's super healthy. Uh, that there's tons of people working on the language, and so so they finally figured out the line ending problem, uh, especially on Windows. They finally came up with a solution where there's. Uh, uh, difference between line endings on Linux OS X and uh, Windows, where Windows has a slash R slash N as a line ending. So they finally they create an RFC, um, or an RFC has been available for a while, but at least they're following some kind of a spec and uh, they improved Windows support. So anything that has to deal with reading lines, which I assume is like one of the first things that people start with uh, if they're trying to. If they try out a new programming language, they start reading files and try to parse them and so on. So it's good to have good Windows support there. Yeah, it, it turns out um, line endings are everywhere. 
They are. Good note, all, yeah. They are all over the place. <laughs> yeah, so there's some improvements to the cargo package manager. It, finally, when you type in cargo update, it will actually tell you what it updated. And I've been, uh, so I've had this problem where I where I ran cargo update and everything went okay, but I wasn't even sure if it did anything. Um, so this is good to see more info. And yeah, uh, 127 new contributors. Uh, 1,200 patches landed, and uh, yeah, check it out. Uh, we'll have a link to the blog post of the Rust 1.4 announcement in our show notes. Next up is Node 5.0. Now, you're probably still on Node 0.12. Well, here's some news. We're up to 5.0 already. So, lots of good stuff. Um the, I think the, the most important part of this release and, and worth noting is the, um, the long-term support plan. So if you're on uh, Node 4, um, which I am, uh, it will be continue to be supported for 30 months, uh, ending in April 2018, which is great. Um, I mean, I, I really like how Node is now adopting this um, really fast uh, release cycle, but having... Uh, uh, long-term support is is very important for those that get stuck on on these older uh, versions. So, I really appreciate them uh, them providing that now. Rich, how does uh, what do you what do you thoughts about Node five? Uh, do you do you feel like you're up to date with all these new Node versions, or is it <laughs> fast? Or I feel like you're never quite up to date on these, but uh, you know, I, I think like uh, like you said, it's uh, it's great to see this long-term support rolling out for the next uh, next 30 months, um, and also yeah, just this numbering system that's going to be kind of rolling out over the next little while with uh, v4 supported for the next 30 months, and then v5 is only for the next eight months, then six for another 30 months. Uh, so I'm kind of curious. It's this is not something that really. Uh, tends to kind of stand up for a long period of time. I mean, it, this is kind of planning for uh, the long term of something that we don't really know the long term of yet, I guess. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, yeah. It's 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 definitely, it, it could be tricky, but uh, some of the stuff that we still use is like on node version 0.10, and uh, that's our long term release. <laughs> yeah. run, But uh, yeah, it's going to be, I'm probably going to be skipping five, and just using 4.2 uh, for all the production things. Um, yeah, I'm on, yeah, I'm I kind of wish. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, I, was, I was saying I'm on I'm on 0.12.7, so that's um, I need to upgrade my stuff quickly. But it's I was gonna say for the long-term service plan, I think that's that's important for people who want Node to kind of be taken seriously and quote-unquote the enterprise right so you you have to convince your boss like this is stable software and they're gonna promise to fix bugs on this version because we can only update our our apps every two or four years or whatever it is um, so that's important I mean you, you see the same thing in, in other projects like Linux or Ubuntu or Firefox or and other things and so you can in a large corporate environment, you can really pin down the software you're running on for the next 18 months or whatever it is. Yeah, and, and this, you know, I, I understand why they, they bump these uh, these versions the way they do. It's, it's most because the the new version of V8. The one problem with it is if, if you may maintain a Node-native add-on, 
um, which is dependent on the version of V8, it becomes such a huge headache um, having to maintain all the different, uh, you know, all the different versions of that. It's, I mean, if you've developed a native add-on, you you know, you know my pain and, and many others' pains uh, of doing it. And so I kind of wish they would would uh, just not to do this odd even odd even thing um, and just you know keep keep releasing stuff that's great um, and keep pushing people towards the newest stuff um, so we don't have to support uh, older versions. But I'm really looking forward to getting out out from under the um, the O uh, the point you know the zero point. Uh, 10 and 0 0.12 releases. Uh, I'm hoping just everyone just kind of moves forward with the new stuff, and then we can just start compiling our native add-ons towards the new stuff. So, yeah. So I guess if you're just starting up with Node, uh, take a look at version 4.2 and 5. Uh, if you're planning to have a, a long-term app that you you want to make sure to support it, use version 4.2. Uh, some of the new stuff in this uh, 5. Dot o release. Uh, there are improvements to uh, file system, reading files, writing files, um, some of the HTTP updates, uh, updates to headers, and things like that. And uh, for, I guess, NPM fans, uh, NP Node now ships with NPM version 3 by default uh, instead of 2 in, uh, 4 in Node 4.2. So something to uh, uh, to to look forward to, or if uh, your stuff breaks in npm three, then uh, you're probably not looking forward to it. It bumps the v8 version from 4.5 uh, to 4.6, and I guess that's the uh, that's the main reason to update the version here. Yeah, I still don't understand um, v8 versioning. Rich, what do we got next? Next up, we got Adam 1.1. So I'm not actually an Atom user myself. I'm I'm a, a Vim fan currently. I don't know if that uh, if that uh, is, is a bit of a battle cry for any any Atom fans out here. Uh, any of you use Atom as like your go-to regular regular uh, editor? It's my it's my primary editor. Whoa! <laughs> yeah, I use it, it for my, my, my private editing sessions, right? When I don't want my <laughs> wife to know. <laughs> text editing history I open up. Uh, go for it, Kyle. Tell us about why you use Atom. Okay, okay. Yeah, I, I use Atom as my primary editor, and I, that shouldn't be surprising. I think I think it's awesome. I mean, I, I mean, I, I mean, I used uh, Sublime before, um, and there was like, a, a, it was you know not the easiest transition out of Sublime. Um, there was like a number of issues that uh, was preventing me. I mean, the, the biggest reason that I would have Sublime still installed on my machine was uh, for the longest time, Adam wouldn't support opening really large files. So I'd always, like, open large files in, in Sublime um, when I needed it. Uh, but now it handles them like a champ, so um, I don't have Sublime anymore. And uh, and I just use uh, Adam. I, I think it's great. It's um, I, can, I can write JavaScript to customize it, and I think that's awesome, so... Have I'm, you ever uh, done have, have you ever done that written JavaScript to customize your text oh, yeah. editor? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, you write plugins. Um, there's a package manager that's similar to npm, so you know, they're super easy to install and update. Um, I I have a couple of I mean, I guess my main gripe is like there's a couple of packages that uh, they publish a new version what seems to be every day and uh, I'm trying not to curse cuz I know this is a clean podcast. Um, but so like I guess it's super annoying getting these update 
things because it's just an update every single day, and it seems like I'm just constantly hitting that that stupid button. But so I guess I, I wish they would just update less often and do like bigger releases. Um, so I, I, do, I do think like you know if if you tried Adam uh, six months ago and you didn't like it, then I can understand. But I think it's gotten super stable now, and like with Adam 1.1. Um, I mean, they're they're working more and more on edge cases and and other kinds of things. Like, I mean, this has uh, uh, better text wrapping support for um, you know Chinese uh, character sets and and whatnot. And and so they're they're working more on probably the the not as common um, features. And so it's it's just getting really stable and really nice. So. I mean, I, I don't know if I'd recommend it for a Vim user or anything like that. Um, it's definitely not going, going to uh, outperform that or anything. But, like, uh, if, if you're a sublime text user, you know, um, uh, I would recommend it now. Some of the my, – my favorite feature is the Markdown Preview feature, and now it seems in 1.1 uh, the Markdown Preview feature is themable, so it adapts to the theme that you have in your editor, which is awesome. Um and uh, yeah, better character support. And, uh, they updated to the latest version of Electron, so there's some underneath uh, fixes. Some some of the fixes underneath in Electron, and uh, yeah, fixed a couple of pretty bad long-standing bugs there, which is always good to hear. Variable width fonts, which is a pretty pretty foreign concept to me, with my editor stuck in the 70s. <laughs> Yeah, this is uh yeah, so I wonder what uh what was the cost for a point one release? Uh was this just the electron uh, zero point thirty four bump or something else? Yeah, my guess would be the electron um bump. Mm -hmm. So there's been a a lot of activity going on in Electron too. So um I mean I, I guess I really another reason why I like Atom a lot is because it really drives development on Electron. Um, which I've been using for. I mean, we just switched over all our um, all our uh, client side uh, continuous integration tests uh, to use Electron uh, as the primary tester, and then we use like Sauce Labs and stuff for other browser support. Um, but it's been really great just because it's super fast to to just run whip through tests just to to give it a an initial run through of uh, making sure everything's running smoothly and stuff. So. I, I guess I, I mean I'm a big fan of Adam for that that case because it really drives Electron uh, development, which um, is you know I guess a lot more uh, a lot more useful besides you know outside of just being a text editor. So cool. And finally, we have one more item on our news list, and I think Rich, you added this one. <laughs> I just I just noticed this one actually just before we uh, started recording this, but. Uh... Yeah, Babel 6.0, uh, which is completely mind-blowing, largely because it starts off with a tweet from Sebastian McKenzie, who was, uh, he started the project and is now one of the uh, probably two or three uh, maintainers that I know of. Um, but the crazy thing is, in this tweet, he mentions that it's been exactly one year since he made the first commit to 6 to 5. I mean, it, it's it seems so strange to me that it's uh, it's only been one year that this like six to five or Babel has existed for, and it's so integrated into so many things right now. 
Yeah, so for those who don't know, Babel is a compiler for writing next-generation JavaScript. You can uh, you use Babel to write ES6 code that you can write or compile for older browsers that don't support certain things. Uh, Rich, anything in this release that uh, you're excited about, except this tweet with uh, Babel cake, which just looks really good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, there's a few things in here. Performance improvements are, are always worthwhile when you're you know, compiling a, a large amount of code all at once. Um, otherwise, it looks like they're fairly minor changes, uh, except um, modularization and uh, some changes to how plugins work. So I think the API for plugins has changed, but they've also inter introduced this concept of presets for plugins, uh, which is you know if you're if you're currently using five or six plugins in order to really just do one sort of task, um, this plugin preset should theoretically be able to uh, eliminate the need to explicitly state each one of those plugins, uh, and it'll just kind of group them together for you, which is kind of nice. Yeah. So why do they why do they call them opt-in plugins? What does what does they mean by that? Uh, I think opt-in plugins. I think that that's just referring to uh, the fact that they're not actually uh, integrated into the core of Babel itself. Um, that they are third-party plugins. I think uh, I'm not 100% sure of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When I when I saw when they released at npm, they published uh, not just one package, but like over over nine packages for sure. So, um, yeah, it, it seems like they re restructured it completely, uh, which is which is good. They're they're planning. They're saying that it should soon should power minifiers, linters, formatters, uh, syntax highlighting, code completion tools, and things like that. Uh, so plenty of uh, sort of crazy fu uh, future for this project. Um, check some of the GitHub stats. It's got over ten thousand stars on GitHub and. Uh, 112 issues, six pull requests, and 131 contributors, which is plenty. So very uh, popular project. If you haven't, if you do a lot of JavaScript, or maybe you're interested in new JavaScript features and you want to try them out, yeah, but on and make sure they're compatible and uh, and you haven't tried Babel yet, check it out, and we'll have a link to it uh, to the announcement of the new version and the GitHub page in our show notes. Yeah, latest commit, 16 minutes ago. Yes. That is a happening repo. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Yeah, is it safe to say that Babel is the de facto, you know, ES6, ES2015 uh, library? I would say so. I'd say so at this point. I mean, I think I'm just I'm trying to recall other ones. I mean, Google has, of course, Tracer, Tracer. Mm -hmm. Uh, which is, I think, probably the closest competitor. I think, does uh, Acorn or any of those kinds of other um, sort of parsers have uh, ES6 support built in, or is that sort of an add-on added through Babel or Tracer? Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know if it's just like the, the particular group of people that I follow that you know are just like hardcore Babel enthusiasts, but I seem to hear nothing about any of the other compilers these days, and Everything is about Babel, so I, I'm not sure if they other ones have just given up or if uh, I'm just in the you know listening to the wrong people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, yeah, I think it's just everybody's using it. I think uh, looking at some source from Google's projects, I think they use it already as well. So. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, it's really interesting. 
Cool. And all, that's all the topics and uh, projects we've got for this episode. Now, Mike, where can people find you to ask you questions about OSCON or anything else open source? You can find me in Texas, um, or you can go to my website, MikeTaylor.com, and you can Google that. And whichever one you find, that's me. <laughs> Excellent. What about you? The entirety of Texas? Like, I'm just going to walk around Texas screaming for Mike? Yes, yes, ask for Mike. <laughs> uh, Rich, what about you? Where could uh, people find you to ask open source questions? Uh, probably uh, I've been known to peruse the Twitters from time to time, uh, so that's probably the best bet. I'm uh, at Rich Gilbank, uh, R-I-C-H-G-I-L-B-A-N-K. That's a lot of letters. Um, but, yeah, that's, that's probably the best way to get a hold of me. Cool. And you, Kyle, where could people find you? Oh, well, don't find me. I'll find you. <laughs> right, okay. And, uh, yeah, Kyle's uh, Twitter handle will be in the show notes. Uh, that... No, seriously, I'll, I'll find you. <laughs> I'm probably already friends with you, so, you know, if you're a listener to the show, probably already friends. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, and you can find me at vf.io. Uh, you can find my GitHub and Twitter handles and so on. And you can find the Open Source System podcast organization on GitHub, and as I mentioned in the beginning, uh, on all the podcast networks. And uh, thanks for listening to this episode. We'll be back soon.